When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think choosing an investment manager is much, much harder than most people think it is. And then we get large, famous name, not very good results as a consequence, particularly over the long term. The author of Figuring It Out continues to share 60 years of investment wisdom on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Recently, I had the pleasure of sitting down for an exclusive and extended interview with one of the most influential thinkers in the investing world. His name is Charles Ellis, Charlie to those of us who know him. He has been a frequent WealthTrack guest since our launch in 2005, and despite being called Wall Street's wisest man by Money Magazine more than 20 years ago, his wisdom and influence continue to grow. He has authored 20 books. The most famous, Winning the Losers Game, is an investment classic now in its eighth edition. More recently, 2022 in fact, he did investors a huge favor by publishing Figuring It Out, 60 Years of Answering Investors' Most Important Questions. It's a collection of some of his most thoughtful and thought-provoking articles and essays, many challenging Wall Street's conventional wisdom correctly as it turns out. In part one of our interview, which is available on WealthTrack.com, we focused on how much the investing world has changed over the years and how much investment strategies need to change to take advantage. Well, this week we begin with his recommendation that individuals take what he calls a total financial portfolio approach to financial planning. And one of the questions I asked him was what percentage of a portfolio should be in bonds? His answer might surprise you. I've got a very strong belief that almost all of us are making a dreadfully funny, sad mistake. If you look at most people and say, say, Charlie, what's your asset mix? They'll say, well, it's about 60-40. Right, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Yes. Then you say, you know, you're wrong. They say, no, no, I've checked my statement. I know I'm right. No, you're wrong because you're looking at a very small part of your total portfolio. You own a home, don't you? Yeah, of course I own a home. Well, that's part of your total portfolio. Really? Yeah. Think about it. If you ever had to raise money, you could sell the house. And at some point, that house is going to get sold and somebody's going to spend that money. And you address this in figuring it out and you call the total portfolio approach much broader as you said, than, than most people think about. And you, you call your home a stable asset. It's a lot, lot like a bond. Next thing, what's your value of Social Security benefits that are coming your way? Most people say, gee, I have no idea. Nobody's ever told me. That's right, nobody's ever told you, but have you ever tried to figure it out? No, I've never tried to figure it out. If you do try to figure it out, for the, for the typical person, 
in our society. They have a 401k plan that's roughly, but not quite as large as 250,000. They've got a home that's roughly 250,000. And they've got social security that would be somewhere between 400 and 500,000 in terms of value. You've got 60% of the small portion culture portfolio in stocks. But if you add on the value of your real estate and add on to that the value of your social security, what you're calling 60% is really only 15%. And you are way heavy on fixed income and stable assets. And most people just have never thought about it that way. And I think it's a shame because investment advisors should be coaching them to think that way as part of their total program. I hope it'll happen. I hope it'll develop because if people could only understand the whole picture, they'd be able to come to a much sounder, wiser, better judgment for them. You also believe that we should all have a financial plan and a written financial plan. And, and you're a, a big proponent of that everyone should at some point go to a financial advisor. Why do you think that's so important? If you're really good at thinking about the math and longevity and psychology and that, you can probably work it out for yourself or you and your spouse probably can work it out quite well. And I'd strongly recommend doing it as couples because, or with a very good friend, either way you want to do it. But having somebody else that's listening to your explanation, telling you whether it makes sense to them and seeing if the math works is all very, very helpful. Uh, but if you've got a financial advisor, instead of paying them whatever fee, 1% a year, you might instead pay them a fee per day and offer a large fee per day, like $5,000, that would be tiny by comparison to what you will accumulate just chipping away at 1% a year, half of 1% a year on your total portfolio. Pay them for what they're able to do and the hours and time that they put into it. And I think that you could find very easily that in a one-day session, perhaps broken up into two half-day sessions, you could create a custom-tailored strategy for investing and a portfolio to implement that strategy that would make sense because you've identified what your real objectives are, some of which have to do with what you want to be able to spend money on, some of which have to do with how much time you want to spend working on investing, some of which has to do with your experience with risk and your attitude towards risk. All those different things, you could work them all the way through and come up with a one or two page, I believe most people would come up with a one page plan for investing that would make good sense for them, wouldn't make good sense for their neighbor, wouldn't make good sense for their relatives and wouldn't make good sense for everybody else, but would make great good sense for them. And then they'd be in that secured position of I know what I'm doing, I know why I'm doing it, and I can come back and compare experience with plan on a regular basis, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years, maybe once every five years, maybe once every 10 years to be sure that you're in the right ballpark in your thinking. It won't be precisely right. Thank goodness uh, we could be precisely wrong, but we can't be precisely right. Uh, you're trying to get a general idea of where you want to be in the realities of the market and then stay with it so that you are able to implement the plan the way you originally thought about it when you were calm, cool, and rational 
instead of taking action when the markets are different. And then maybe every five years, maybe every 10 years, serious consideration of whether you ought to make a change in the portfolio strategy, not because the markets are different, but because you are different. You got married or you have children or you've retired or some other major change in your life requires you to think one more time what's really right for you. And this financial plan, would it include the total financial plan that we talked about? So your home, your social security, your future earnings, actually. I know that's one of the things that you say that people, young people should definitely take into consideration, working people, what your future earnings power is, that that's also should be part of your financial plan. Right you are. Uh, it drives me nuts when I hear people say, you should put your age in bonds. So if you're 30 years old, you put 30% of your savings in fixed income. Well, don't forget you've got, maybe you've just finished buying a house and you've got social security way down the line, but it's coming your way to put 30% in bonds. Assume for a minute that you have gone to a good college and have able therefore to have a nice earnings level. You can save money so easily by simple little things like spend as though you had the income you had two years ago or three years ago. Think seriously about vacations. Do you really, really, really want to go to Paris or would you consider going to the national parks and having a wonderful camping trip as an alternative? Do you really need a larger house or would you be comfortable with a lovely home that's a little bit smaller? Do you really need to buy brand new cars or would a uh, used car or pre-owned cars, we always call them, uh, suit you reasonably well? There's a lot of different ways that you can learn and have some satisfaction and some fun figuring out how, from your point of view, you can save. A friend of mine says the easiest way to save he knows is he and his wife have a glass of wine before they go out for dinner, and then they have one glass when they're at dinner. And we all know there are different things that uh, cost more than they're really worth to us, and being able to be realistic about you and your preferences, your personal choices, uh, and then look for ways that you can save by not doing things that you don't particularly care for. Um, it's amazing. What are some of the appropriate portfolio diversifiers? Are there diversifiers that, that everyone should own some of in a long-term diversified portfolio to, uh, to kind of balance off the risks that are inherent in stocks? Well, I would say that everybody ought to very seriously consider indexing and low-cost indexing. Right. Um, that's one of the most unbelievably wonderful advantages anybody's ever seen. And it's worth taking a quick look at one dimension, just looking at fees. Uh, I'm giving away, I'm not going to talk about the costs of active management, which run about 1% per year. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the taxes that are imposed on active management, might run another half of 1% per year. I'm just talking about the, the cost of the fee that gets charged. Index funds typically charge a very low fee. And if they're not low fee, you shouldn't deal with them under any circumstances. There are a few, uh, it just drives you nuts. Index funds that are fairly high fee used to be around, I think they've all gotten disposed of since then, but 
widely diversified index fund makes an enormous amount of very, very good sense. Look at fees and you think about when people say, oh, it's a low fee, it's only 1% of the assets. Yeah, well, that's fine, but you provide the assets. What's your manager doing? Well, he's getting returns. Oh, so if the returns are 7%, which is roughly an average of the returns over time, then a 1% of assets is how much is the percent of returns? Well, around 15%. Jeepers, that's not low, is it? No, it's not. It's, but you really ought to think about it. You can get an index fund that will give you the market rate of return. What you really are paying for when you go to an active manager is the privilege of getting an above market rate of return, an incremental return. Gee, what's the fee as a percentage of that? And you have to hang on to your seat because it's more than 100%. Right. So the, the fees that sound so low are actually ridiculously high. Yes. Given alternatives that are now available. Lots of really investor-friendly improvements uh, in the markets and the products available to us. It's, it's really astonishing. Um, and it's terrific. It's a wonderful reality. We've got better and better pricing. So that means we can all be comfortable that we're not getting gypped or screwed on the transactions and that you go to the market. That's as good a price as you could get anywhere. Uh, and that it's fair price when you're buying it, fair price when you're selling. That really makes a big difference. And then index funds at a low fee, wow, that's, or ETFs at a low fee, either one of them, is just a terrific advantage for investors who are candidly trying to save for the long term because the costs of doing that are so darn low and the compounding of that advantage just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. The other thing that's kind of nice about it is if you invest in index funds, you learn pretty quickly that you don't spend very much time checking the market or worrying about, are you in the right place? And the relief of that time and being able to put your time and energy to do things that are really important to you, like raising your family or spending time in your hobby or- With your grandchildren. Self-improvement. Yeah, there are a lot of different things that are hugely more valuable mm -hmm. than trying to compete in the stock market. I tell you, there are so many retirees out there who are very, very nervous right now because they are looking at their you know, stream of income and how much their principal has declined and that therefore they really feel uh, in jeopardy. What is your you know, advice to them who are looking at a, a much smaller nest egg from which they're going to withdraw funds uh, to su support themselves. Well, I think when you talk about what would be the advice you would give, I don't mean to cop out, but the right, right answer, and I always would give this answer, is let me talk to each individual and find out what their real situation is. For most people, what they really ought to be doing, if they're anxious about their investments because the investments have come down 25, 30%, and they're spooked by that reality, that means that chances are that they have been exposing themselves to that kind of spooky experience and should be taking a careful look at their spending level and seeing if they can't find a way to spend at a lower level, and which is just as good a way of solving the problem as having a larger amount of money or more favorable stock market. 
uh, and that that's probably the right place for people to focus their time and attention. Charlie, what's the biggest investment mistake or mistakes that you've made in your career or your lifetime? Well, I confess, uh, a very bright guy that had a lot of apparent experience in venture investing talked to me about what he was doing, and I talked myself into investing with him, but I got conned, and uh, I'm terribly embarrassed to have made that mistake. And so the lesson from that was? I would never invest with anyone that I hadn't done serious examination of what was their capability and what was their record, and talk with people who have been investing with them. I think choosing an investment manager is much, much harder than most people think it is. And, you know, most of us, candidly, choose large, famous name investment managers. Then we get large, famous name, not very good results as a consequence, particularly over the long term. Uh, and if we said, gee, we're going to find somebody who's really different, really very, very good. Look, I spend all my life, my working life in the investments world, and I'm in touch with and friends with an enormous number of very, very talented people. And if you said to me, you've got to tell me of a really good investment manager that I could trust to the long run, I can think of one or two individual names that I would suggest to a close friend saying first, I don't know whether this organization is going to stay with it. I think they are, and they've certainly done a great job of organizing themselves. They're highly specialized. Oh, I'm sorry, there's one other problem. They only take substantial accounts. So unless you've got a large account, they just won't accept you. And, you know, that's the reality. I, that's very disturbing to hear, Charlie. Wait that, a minute. I mean, I mean, wait you, a minute. It's you, not disturbing at no, all. No, only Look. one or two that you would recommend. I mean, you've talked to hundreds of the top investment firms in the world. And yes, over... but it's not disturbing. It's informing. I mean, I just yeah. think, I think that's... Anybody can use that insight. Gee, I'm out there looking all the time, looking all the time. If you said, well, Charlie, you said that you invest now. What, what do you do? And the answer, of course, is low-cost index funds and entirely at Vanguard. And I think I've had a wonderful experience, and I enjoy the, the, the nature of the organization. I happen to have the privilege of being a consultant to Vanguard over a dozen years. Of right, and you were on the on board. Strategy. Right. And I was on the board for 10 years. And when you go backstage and see Boy Scout, Girl Scout behavior and real commitment to clients, and they take it terribly seriously and they work hard at it, and they're very good at finding ways to bring costs down so they can bring fees down, and they keep chipping away at it, and they work in a way, working away, working away, working away. They've done a terrific job, and I think we all ought to be round of applause pleased and proud that they do a really good job. And there are other organizations, I believe, are also doing a really good job, but they're not doing a really good job of beating the market. They're really doing a really good job of not making terrible mistakes and not losing your money and not causing you anxiety and upset. And in all fairness, I was going to say, you've written about Capital Group, the, uh, the parent company of the America Funds, but you've mentioned some other firms that you think have really good cultures that put the client first. You've spoken highly of T. Rowe Price T. in Rowe the Price, past. Wellington, Wellington, Dodge and Cox. So there are firms out there that, that 
are that do have integrity, that do have take fiduciary responsibilities that besides Vanguard? And have done a very, very good job that candidly, as an American citizen, I think we can all take great pride in the fact that we've got a variety of very able investment managers who are conscientiously doing a very good job. We don't have nearly as many good ones as we have total, but um, that's a different kind of question. The best investment you've ever made and any lessons from that? Well, yes, I think probably the answer in fairness. Uh, in the mid-1970s, my partners and I at our firm, Greenwich Associates, agreed that we ought to have a reserve cushion just in case things didn't work out. And so we put some money aside by saying, let's slow down on our payouts, on our compensation. And so we put some money aside and invested it in what I personally look back on and say, one of the most wonderful experiences I could imagine. We invested it in Berkshire Hathaway. Wow. Warren Buffett has done deliberately, conscientiously, and skillfully a wonderful job of being a very good steward, steward and being also a brilliant, original investor. And you stuck with him. You stuck with Berkshire Hathaway, you and your partners. Oh, sure. Yeah. He has lived through so many difficult experiences and always come up with integrity, integrity, integrity. So he's the best exemplar of business integrity I know of in the world and uh, very, very happy with that. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. If, if we had to make one investment, again, in a long-term diversified portfolio right now, what would it be? Well, it would be an index fund. Mm -hmm. And which uh, index fund? I would personally go for a global index fund. But if you said, no, I'm, I'm an American and I feel more comfortable, fine. Do it in a wide market index fund within the U.S. Would you recommend uh, a Vanguard fund? And, and if so, which one? When you get to specific ones, I have a difficult time. But they've got a, a multi-market global fund. And that's the one that I would go for. You've written a book called and published it called Figuring It Out. Have you figured it out? Well, I hope so. But then again, I have to admit that I've been doing it full time. And full time for me is long 70, 60, 80 hour weeks. And I, it was a long time when I didn't take very many vacations. And I've taken the time to read virtually all the in investment books that have been written, not just the ones that are current, but all the way back. Uh, and I've spent an enormous amount of time talking seriously with exceptionally talented people who are deep into investment management, and then stir briskly with all those advantages of you know, graduate school education. I did a PhD at NYU after I finished up at Harvard Business School. That was a rare and privileged experience. Uh, being able to talk to people who work in New Zealand, who work in Germany, who work in Japan, who work in China, who work in Australia, who work in all the different places around the world where investment takes place. And I've also watched a large number of other people struggle, 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 because we all hope to do better in many, many ways. It just This is one of those places, one part of our lives where we should settle for the index result, the market as a whole, and not try to be cute, clever, or skillful, because that just doesn't happen to work very well, because the quality of the competition is so wonderfully good 
that it's very hard to do better than the super quality competition can do. And you can save a lot of time and energy by spending your resources of time and energy on other things. And you'll always be in the top quartile, right, if you have an index fund? Virtually guaranteed that you'll be in the top quartile. Certainly that's been true over every reasonable time period looking backwards. But you're not only in the top quartile, you're usually in the top half of the top quartile, which is nirvana for most people who are out there struggling and scrambling, trying to find a way to do better. Charlie Ellis, thank you so much for spending 63 years figuring it out and sharing it with the rest of us in your new book, Figuring It Out. Thanks so much, Charlie. Thank you, Consuelo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is consider annuities as a core part of your retirement plan. With the disappearance of defined benefit pension plans, for many of us, Social Security is the only source of guaranteed income for life. If it is not enough to cover basic necessities such as housing, food, transportation, insurance, and health care costs, an annuity could be the answer. Frequent WealthTrack guest, award-winning personal finance and insurance journalist Kimberly Langford has long recommended looking at two basic types of annuities. First, immediate annuities, which pay a fixed amount of money every year for life. And as its name implies, it starts payments immediately. The other basic annuity is called a deferred income annuity, in which a person near retirement or newly retired sets a payout date at least 10 years in the future. The later the date, the higher the annual payout will be. Langford recommends going to immediateannuities.com to do some personal calculations. These simple, straightforward annuities can provide another stream of income for life and take some pressure off your stock portfolio, particularly in rocky markets. Well, next week, Richard Clarida, former vice chairman of the Federal Reserve, discusses the radical transformation of Fed policy, which he heavily influenced, what it means for the economy and markets. In this week's extra feature, Charlie Ellis gives us a preview of his latest book, Inside Vanguard, Leadership Secrets from the Company that Continues to Rewrite the Rules of the Investing Business. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.